one of the individuals to whom I listen every day is a man by the name of Albert Muller. Some of you may be familiar with the name. He is the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. His latest book, We Cannot Be Silent, in the cover, he has these words. Twenty years ago, we, cannot, we could not find one nation on earth that endorsed legal same-sex marriage. Twenty years ago. Now access to the same-sex marriage is increasingly seen as a basic human rights, one enshrined in law by the Supreme Court of the United States. In less than a single generation, in less than a single generation, Western cultures have experienced a moral revolution. In less than a single generation, The world which you were brought up as parents is not the world in which your children are living. It's a brave new world. It's a world that is going through changes so rapidly that we do not know if we are capable of keeping up with it. A few weeks ago, I heard a message of the, I should say a few weeks ago I preached a message on the dangers that the church faces from within. Today I am speaking on the dangers the church faces from without. Psalm 11 verses 1 to 3, we are not told who or what, but we are told that the psalmist David looked at the culture of his day, and he was seeing a revolution taking place that was uprooting everything that previously brought them to where they were. And we don't know whether he had a conversation, whether he was communicating with a group, but the way in which he was speaking gives us this sense that he was speaking with a great deal of passion and concern because the foundations were being destroyed. And the, 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 the advice that he was given is run to your mountain. There has to be some place that we can go and find refuge. I remember when Lois and I lived in Toronto, we would listen to things. New York is 500 miles east of Toronto. Uh, Chicago is 500 miles in a different uh, direction. And, and whenever something happened that was really bad, we would say, only in New York. We can't say that anymore. I listen to the news from Toronto every day, and I'm amazed at everyday shooting and stabbing and, and, and things that never, it really didn't happen. When, you know, when we heard of, of people facing situations in New York, my word, I, I never thought that one day we would, we would be hearing it in Toronto. David Jeremiah has just released a book dealing with 
what has happened. We never thought we would. Then he goes through everything that we never thought we would see or hear. I want to use this message this morning to help us to understand, even though the dominoes are falling, and falling so rapidly, that we do not need to run and hide. There is a refuge for us, and it is in the message of the Bible. So let's dig into the text. Psalm 11, verse 2, what I call the undressing, the undressing of the revolution. And I'll develop that word as we go on. The undressing of the revolution. Where is it coming from? Who are the instigators? In fact, if you read Dr. Moller's book, you will, you will find that, that what we're experiencing today started not when the Supreme Court made its decision, long before that. But what we have failed to see is that what was happening was happening in a way that it was undermining what we believe so that it might overthrow what we believe. Look, look, if you please, at how they're described. The people who are behind this revolution, the wicked bend the bow, the wicked. That is speaking of their decadence, their defiance of law, their, their doing things that we used to call pushing the envelope. But here they are now in, in the open. They're described as wicked. And in the moral revolution, not, not, we, we don't fight with those who are ignorant, stupid, non-degreed people, didn't finish high school, has a bone to pick. No, in the moral revolution, we are dealing with the academy. The people who are framing our educational system. The people who are framing our, what we call our political system. The word wicked describes those who are vicious, haughty, treacherous, vile, polluted, and unstable. Listen to this. In 2015... A summit for the women of the world was convened. And, and, and please understand me, ladies and gentlemen. I, I, I love to say this because it gets a laughter, but it's a serious business. I am not making a political statement. I am a Canadian. So if this goes in the air, I just want them to know. The speaker at that conference, the main speaker, was the one running for president today when she was Secretary of State. Please listen to her words. Speaking to the women, she said, deep cultural codes, religious beliefs, and the, the bearers of such these must be changed. Religious belief must be subject to changing times. And it means that 
we, we move not by what was said in history, we move by what is progressively making history. What are the three movements that we see making history today? Isn't it amazing that the movers of this revolution are political? So that today when we speak, we must speak politically correct. I always say, isn't it amazing? The people who lie to us the most, we must be trusting them to make moral decisions for us. The people who say, I'm going to do this when I get in, in, par, in power. And I hear it in Canada as well as here, by the way. When they get, well, I was going to do it, but when I, I found things worse when I got into power than before I got in, so I can't do it. Politically correct statement means that there are those who influence the political leaders so that they become the spokesperson for what this movement and those who are engaged in it want. We shall see this in a few minutes. Listen to the academy. By the 1990s, the most respected mainstream academic institution in America featured academic, de academic, academic departments that were devoted entirely to the study and promotion of the strangest and most exotic theories of, homosex ho of human sexuality and often their practice as well. Many of these academics and intellectuals argued that all morality was merely socially constructed and was generally put in place by repressive authorities in order to preserve their power. <laughs> the only reason we're doing it is to control people. Thus, the impulse toward liberation that would recognize as a driving the dynamic toward democracy in much of the world was extended to morality with the explicit, explicit argument that those who are identified as sexual minorities must be liberated as part of the project, uh, the, the project of democracy and liberty. Please listen now. And of course, these ideologies ultimately trickled down into the high schools and even to grade school. Do, do you know, my friends, that there are those who are teaching now up in Toronto human sexuality and what the family is to kids in kindergarten so that by the time they become adults, they will live in a world that will be considered normal because that's all they have known. What is the third Hollywood? Hollywood. This is a Trojan horse, if you please, of the whole thing. The television program, Modern Family. I don't know if you watch it. I hope you don't. I don't watch it. I get reports. Modern Family, this couple of weeks ago, had an eight-year-old boy being a transgender. And they're teaching kids two years old to know what gender, to choose what gender they want. Two years old. Can't get a driver's license, a two, but you can determine what bathroom you want to use. Modern family is a case in point. When we, where we talk is important. The visual media 
film and uh, television are plainly the most powerful image makers in Western civilization. The average American household watches over seven hours of television daily. That is not the bad part of it. Those hours open up a gateway into the private world of straight through a Trojan horse, through which a, tr a Trojan horse may, may be passed. As far as desensitization is concerned, the medium is the message of normalcy. What used to be wrong is not wrong. And if you get it into your minds again and again and again and again, it won't be long before you begin to believe it. It comes in so subtly. I mean, we, we, can't, we, can't, we can't even suggest that this is really happening. Please listen to the shakers and movers in hollow. I, I, had to, I found it very interesting. Mr. Brad Pitt, he made the statement that he was not going to marry Angelina until every person in America would marry whoever they want. So the president gave him his wish. And guess what he did? He divorced Angelina. Here's a contradiction. See, there's nothing to hold together what we are promoting when it comes from that make-believe world in Hollywood. L listen to this. The weapons in the battle to desensitize the mainstream but is, is this. Try to read my writing here. Gay characters and gay themes have been introduced into TV programs and films. And we sit and we watch and we try to decipher, but my friends, it doesn't work before. Because if you speak to most of your children today, they will say, I see nothing wrong with it. The biggest difficulty we're facing today. And Jesus said it. He said, a man will find his own enemy in his own household. Our parents who are listening to their children saying, I no longer believe what you taught me. I went to school and I got educated. Much, much more can be said, but time will not permit. Let's look at the device. The device. Verse 2. Look at what verse 2 says. For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrow in, up, upon the string. I, I thought of Randy and Warren when I was reading that. The bow and the arrow. But you know what, what that is suggesting? The speed. When, when you put a, 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 a bow and the arrow, and you, it goes with lightning speed. That is how the changes are coming. P please, please listen to this. couple of things. In the election of 2004, 11 states had <clears throat> referendums to ban gay marriages. 11 states had that in the referendum. It was passed in all 11 states by a vast majority. This is 2004. By 2012, 2012 presidential election in that election cycle 
four states considered measures that would have defined marriage in one way or another as exclusively the union between a man and a woman. On the other hand, would have authorized the legalization of same-sex marriage. To put the matter plainly, in 2004, not one state out of 11 in play failed to pass a defense of traditional marriage. Just eight years later, voters reversed that decision. Eight years. Eight years we are defining what the family is. Within a given, in, in, in the lifetime of a presidency, the dominoes are falling. And, and, and one thing I will say for this, boy, I want to be careful here. This man is a clever man. Very clever. Because you will notice that whenever they want to make some great social change, the vice president goes out and make it. Then the public screams at him. And then the president comes out and say, I have had an evolutionary approach to life and I have come to the same conclusion. And if he has come to the same conclusion, he satisfies those who are behind the push. Two names, two names are behind the whole revolution that is going on. But you see the face of the president, the vice president, Brad Pitt, and the rest of them. This is how they're seeing. That's their device to get it done as speedily as ever. The groundwork was being done earlier when they were taking their time and going into the, into the mainline churches and talking to them and into to the politicians so that one of, the, one of the, the promise of this present president was that he was going to legalize same-sex gay marriages and he was successful in it. In less than a generation. See, uh, three, their design. Look at what the text says. They shoot in the darkness at the upright in heart. The upright in heart can be said to be the church because at the base, at the base of what is going on is that they want to get rid of everything that Christianity has made, uh, has given to this country to make it what it is. Now, I, 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 again, I'm dependent upon WikiLeaks. <laughs> but WikiLeaks re revealed some tapes this past week that was taped by the, the chairperson of the communication um, part of <laughs> it's not that I'm, I don't know what to say I just want to make sure I say it well the communication system for the Clinton, the Clinton presidency and one of the things they were discussing is that there has to be a way to get at, to change two groups of people, evangelicals and conservative Catholics. You know why? Because they are against abortion. And this woman is totally behind this cruel practice of killing innocent babies. 
The battle for same-sex marriages is about keeping the religious right from defining for all Americans what the family is and from enforcing heterosexual marriage as the norm. Much more, I say, can be said. In some cases, in some of those communication behind the scenes, they were actually sending people into some of the Catholic circles. It's interesting only to the Catholics they did. This is what the book said. So that they can try to persuade none, people who were not for this woman, to come on board because she was going to make sure that they were liberated. That's all I want to say. I can back it up, by the way, just in case. Quickly, let's look at the unguarded signs of moral revolution. How can you tell what is happening? The psalmist calls them the foundation. The foundation. That upon which culture was born and sustained. Society. You know, when, when I went to school, a lot of the Christian hymns and the Lord's Prayer and the 23rd Psalm, I learned in day school. I had to say it every day. School will begin with prayer. Today, you have grade school students who are saying, I don't believe in God, so you're violating my constitutional right by having prayer before school. The fire chief, the fire chief of Atlanta, wrote a book. On, on, this was his own testimony. And he was so castigated that they almost kicked him out of the position for simply saying that he believed that marriage is between a man and a woman. The question asked by the system, by the psalmist, what can we do when we see this happening? In every area of life, you can't, you can't look at a television commercial. And my wife will tell you, we're, we're watching the game at home and, and uh, other programs which we carefully watch. And I'm not kidding you. I'm sitting there watching some of these commercials with my wife and I'm embarrassed. I thought, how, how, how can anyone can sit there and watch what these people do? So, so you wouldn't want to watch TV with me, by the way. Because I, I use that remote control. Oh, my word, do I ever use it? Because I don't want my mind, my friends, to become a filter for the, for, the, for the perversion of what's out there. Because it is. The wicked are bending the bows again and again. In every area of life, there is no area that is left without being influenced or looking forward to being influenced. The LGBT has so moved that in economy, in Wall Street, in politics, in education, they are there and they're pushing their agenda. Again, I'm saying this is not a political speech. This is coming out of the text. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Let me, show, let me give you the signs of the moral revolution in the words of Theo Hobson. Listen carefully. I'm going to read it twice. This is how he this is how Theo Hobson says a moral revolution is taking place. One, 
what used to be celebrated is now condemned. What used to be celebrated is now condemned. Two, what used to be condemned is now celebrated. What used to be condemned is now celebrated. Three, whoever will not celebrate is condemned. That's the signs of the moral revolution. You cannot even express your own personal opinion in the presence of those who disagree with it. They have names for people like you. Bigoted, homophobic, and the likes. That's the sign, my friends. That's the sign that there isn't... <laughs> I heard the story this past week <laughs> of a young chap who went to school wearing his pants that was reaching down to his ankle. And the principal said to him, you must bring your pants up, because of course he was showing all his backside with his pants down to his ankle. And the principal said to him, this is a great school kid, by the way, middle school. And the principal said, you cannot wear your clothes this way. And he, he rejected the principal's uh, concern and went home and got his mother. And his mother went to her lawyer and to her psychiatrist. Think of the combination. <laughs> because the psychiatrist was going to give a reason for why the boy was wearing his pants that way. That's just a simple illustration. So now what are we to do? They, they said to the psalmist, run and hide. There is not an area of life that we are not being invaded, that we're not being shot at. And David said, how can you say, run to your hiding? Are, is this what Christianity is about? That we live in a world where we ignore what is happening by just hoping for the world to come? And we, you know, I've heard people saying this, oh, I wish Jesus would come. Friends, you don't wish for Jesus to come because of the terrible condition of the world. You wish for Jesus to come because he promised that. See, we, we, we want that escape. We want something to get us out of it. And Jesus, when he was praying, said, Father, I do not pray that you will take them out of the world, but that you will keep them from the evil one. Because he's going to be the one who's after them. So how do we deal with this? John 15, very quickly. John 15, Jesus is answering the question that was put to David. John 15, verse 18. <clears throat> verse 18 of John 15. If the world, verse 18... I love this song, by the way, of the rustling of the pages to get to the text. Because, you know, I'm not giving you my own words. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. <laughs> Jesus goes to the core of the revolution. 
and at the core of the revolution is human despising of God. Listen, listen to Jesus in John 7. He said, let, let me read it. You don't need to turn it, but if you're taking notes, John 7, 7. Listen to what Jesus said. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Why? Because I testify that its deeds are evil. Jesus said, a world that loves a gentle Jesus will accept him. A world that loves a moral teacher will accept him. But the world will not do with the Jesus who tells them how to live. He testifies that their deeds are evil. The moral revolution is, to, is, is a deep-seated hatred for Jesus Christ and his message. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify. I, I show that by their very behavior that they hate God. They hate God. Uh, you know, we, we, don't, we don't believe that, do we? We live, in, we live with pleasant neighbors. And, and we pay our taxes. And we don't do anything to hurt anybody. And our neighbors are kind, gentle people. But my friends, I'm, I, I want to suggest to you that you will know what your neighbors think of you when you deal with the morality of the Bible. When you come to the place where you say, this is not my opinion. This is what Jesus came to do, to unveil, to undress, that underneath of every unregenerate sinner, no matter how good they are as citizens, when it comes face to face with the moral laws of God, it hates God. It doesn't want, you know what the word hate means? To detest. To detest. The daughter of Joseph Stalin told this story. She said, when my father was on his deathbed, the last thing he did before he expired was to clench his fist and point to heaven. I hate God. Jesus said, if you're, going to, if you're going to understand the moral revolution, you must understand that underneath is a hatred for God. Listen, listen to what, what he says next. That your commitment... The consequence of commitment, let me read it for you, verse 19. He says this. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but because I chose you out of the world, because this world, this, because of this, the world hates you. You, you don't have to do anything wrong to the world for it to hate you. You just have to do everything right in pleasing God. 
and it hates you. It detests you. I remember when I was a, a young student, uh, I, 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 was, I was always, um, I don't know why I was, what I thought I was being just normal. But I remember one day, and in those days, you know, we had one large, those, those of you who have been in the army, remember uh, even later gyms, I guess, go into the washroom and all the men are there talking and doing all their stuff, shaving and so on. And, and whenever I would, I would walk in, the students would say, oh, oh, careful, here comes Thurton. He's planning to be dean. I had no idea that I could ever be dean of students, even though I became assistant to the dean after I graduated. So I would say to them, hey, fellas, I'll tell you. I'll tell you, fellas, God was here before I came. You don't need me to stop you from doing anything. What you really despise is God because you're doing before God what you wouldn't do before Thurton. What hypocrisy is that? The core, my friends, when Samuel heard the people asking for a king like the rest of the nation, his heart was broken and he went to God and he says, what shall I do? And God said to Samuel, Samuel, 1 Samuel 8, 7, don't worry, they have not rejected you, they have rejected me. And America, this country that was founded upon the principles given by the law of Moses, you can find it in its history book, has turned its back against God. The story goes that when Alexander Solzhenitsyn was invited at Harvard to speak on the theme of what was wrong with America, and he said America has forgotten God. He was booed by professors and students alike. Imagine, you cannot even talk about God in institutions that were founded because they believe in God. <laughs> Did I not tell you recently about Richard Dawkins, the darling of atheism in the 21st century? A professor at Oxford who said that every student coming to Oxford <laughs> It's almost too comical to... Every student coming into Oxford must be tested to see if they believe in God, and if they do, they must be rejected. And, and what, is, what is the motto of Oxford? You're smiling, you know what it is. God is our light. God is our light. And I, I love this. That the one who made Oxford and Cambridge what they were, today have atheist, atheist professors teaching that God might be the concoct of human minds. May I suggest to you, may I suggest to you something, friends? that the moral revolution does not want to live in concert with what is known as the straight. By the way, the word upright in Psalm 11, the upright in heart, the word means straight. Those who are given to a way of life that does not deviate from it. The moral revolution does not want to live in concert with the upright in heart. Here's what it wants to do by their own admission. They want to replace it and redefine it. They're doing it. 
So what do you do? Jesus said, understand where it's coming from, and you will understand their behavior. Understand your commitment to me, and you will understand why they're treating you the way they are. They rejected me at the very beginning, and if you are following me because I called you out of the world, they will reject you. So listen to what John says in 1 John 3.13. Don't be surprised when you're persecuted. <laughs> Don't be surprised. We say, but it shouldn't be happening to us. I mean, we are, we are, you know, when you think of Christians, look, look at how innocent they look. Look at, look at how kind they are. Look, look, at how, look at how gracious they are. The world can put up with all that, friends, until you get to the place where you interfere with their moral freedom and you're not there anymore. Because I am, because I called you out of the world and you are committed to me, it goes without saying that if they hated me, they will hate you because what I testify about the evils of the world, you also will testify about the evils of the world. Did you read in the, in the um, perspective of this week what I wrote about that sculpture? that was done by the granddaughter of Sir Winston Churchill. A crucifix with a woman on it. And the bishop of the Episcopal Church of New York said that this is such a wonderful thing that it might well become an object of devotion. Devotion. The absolute rejection of God. The Son of God died on the cross, but women liberation says, we don't like it that it was a man, it should be a woman. And so she put a woman on the cross to become an object of devotion. Wow. See, if we defy God, then there's nothing left to defy. Following Jesus Christ as a committed Christian means living in contrast to the values of the world. There are many churches who are saying that hatred is too high, many Christians who are saying hatred is too high a price to pay to follow Jesus Christ. I can't, I can't see going against my son, my daughter, my boss, my neighbor. That's too high a, that's too high a price to pay to follow Christ. And Jesus said it, if any man comes to me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You will only feel the venom of the world, my friends, when you're faithful to Christ and his calling on your life. Lastly, a cardinal concept, I call it. Verse 20. A cardinal concept. Remember, Jesus is calling the disciples back to use their memory. He, he said it to them in, in John 13. What, what is this cardinal concept? A slave is not greater than his master. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. The reason we find it strange is because we feel that it was possible to live in the world beside our non-Christian friends and so hide our conviction and our communication and our confession 
which they can, they can endure. And somehow, if we are able to silence their agony against us, we can live at peace with them. And Jesus said, a slave is not above his master. You can't escape hatred of the world, persecution from the world, if you're going to follow me. I can't go through it, and you escape it. The reason he went through it, friends, is so that you and I will be able to understand it and be able to deal with it. Jesus is not informing the disciples of something that might happen. He's telling them of something that will happen. So when it happens, don't be surprised. Don't say, why is this happening to me? Peter says, the glory of God rests upon you when the world begins to see the distance between your morality and theirs. I close with the words of Bishop J.C. Ryle of another century. But listen to what he says. We ought to observe carefully how strongly this lesson about the world is laid down by our Lord. It was doubtless spoken for all times and with special reference to believers. Slowness to realize it. If, and it seems to need incessantly reminding of, it is the real feeling of the unconverted people toward them and the treatment they must expect to meet with. Wrong expectations are one great cause of Christians feeling troubled when persecuted. I feel it shouldn't be happening to me. <laughs> I do all the right, right things. And Jesus said it is not the things that you're doing. It is the one you're following. You follow Jesus and it will cost you. But I, I close with the words of the young Jim Elliott at Wheaton College back in the 60s. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jesus said, the reason we're facing a moral revolution is because we're living in a world that always wanted one. They were looking to see how they could do it and they found a way. Over the past eight years, they found a way and it's rapidly moving. But Jesus said, okay, brethren, okay, sisters, let me tell you, don't be dismayed. Don't give in. Keep on following me because the rewards will outshine the cost. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that none will get a political lift out of this message because really it was not about what they are saying it is what we are supposed to do by responding understand what the core is where it's coming from 
It's coming from wicked men, educated political leaders who because of the office will do anything to be re-elected or elected. And so I pray that we will, really, we will realize that what is at the heart of the revolution is a hatred for God. But Father, not only a hatred for God, a hatred for those who are following God. We can't escape it. We must not be surprised when it happens that we will pay a price for following Christ. Because if they rejected him, they're going to reject us. We're not better than he is. We're not more noble than he is. We're not going to pick a fight with the world. What we're going to do is live in spite of what the world says. And we will listen to the promise of the Lord Jesus. I have overcome the world. The hatred did not stop me from going to the cross. The hatred did not keep the stone in front of the tomb. And while you are being hated on earth, I am in heaven praying for you. We're not alone. Just as the disciples had his physical presence in that world, we have the spiritual reality wherever we are, following him, to know that he ever lives to intercede for us, to keep us so that we will ultimately make it home to God. We thank you in his name. Amen.